0: Open the door to the most powerful room in housing. Built for mortgage executives, real estate leaders, and the rising stars that drive innovation and progress, The Gathering will feature over 45 powerful speakers on stage in Scottsdale, Arizona from April 21st to 24th. Learn more and register now at housingwirethegathering.com. Welcome everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about existing home sales and the demographic trends that are driving this housing market. Special thanks to our podcast sponsor Truve for making this episode possible. Logan, welcome back to the podcast.
1: It is wonderful to be here today and we're recording this on Thursday right after the existing home sales report. So the question is, Has existing home sales already peaked?
0: Oh, I hate that question because I'm afraid of the answer, (laughs) but go ahead. Tell us, give us your take here.
1: So let's go back to uh, the end of 2022 to 2023. We saw mortgage rates go from 7.37 down to 5.99%. It gave us, you know, 12 good positive trending weeks for purchase application data, and then in March for the February report, which for us would be next month, we had this really big existing home sales print, uh, almost six hundred thousand before they revised it a, tad, a lower. And I was like, "Wow, that's abnormal, right? That's that that doesn't look like you know it's going to continue. So is that going to be the peak? I thought unless rates kept on going lower. Here we have something else different. Um, we started twenty twenty four with a lower bar. The month-to-month sales prints was like 220000 I mean, in any normal market, that would be like, wow, that's a big print. But when you're working from historically low levels of demand, that first bounce is going to be big. Um, So, we we didn't get a similar type of bounce yet. So, we might have another report where the uh, forward-looking data gets caught into this. But now that we've had four straight weeks of negative purchase application data, in a sense, this report is somewhat old. In a sense, maybe the next report might be old. And where we are right now is mortgage rates are just, we're just hovering around this 4 million level that we've done all of last year, whether it's a little bit above or a little bit below. We trend around here until mortgage rates uh, uh, get lower and the forward-looking demand gets better. Now, uh, let's just assume a hypothetical mortgage rates didn't stop uh, going down and headed down toward five point eight seven five percent, and then we just hover around five point eight seven five to six and a quarter. There's where you actually would have had more positive purchase application data. And I would say that you know if you have twelve weeks, twelve to fourteen weeks of positive data, you have something. We had eight, right? So we never even got to that mark that I always look for. So, this was a bounce, a a noticeable bounce, but in context, we were working from record lows. So, we have to keep always mindful of the forward-looking housing data and where this goes. And, uh, of course, as we've seen, when rates stopped uh, going down and, and got up to above 7%, it's impacted the weekly data. Nothing like what we saw in 2022 when home sales were crashing, but I always say that you can hover around here in the four millions, but you really need lower mortgage rates for longer if you want sustainable growth in demand.
0: It's really interesting that you're, you know, the reason that you do the tracker is you're looking at forward-looking data. We're trying to give people the most uh, up-to-date information on inventory, tenure yield, purchase apps, um, you know, uh, what's what's going on with the number of uh, homes that are taking a price cuts, because all of that forward-looking data, it's... If you don't know that, then you're looking at this existing home sales, and you might come up with a completely different conclusion.
1: I saw that right away on Twitter, where people go, oh, look, home, existing home sales are are going up, even with higher mortgage rates. No, that's not how it works. Uh, uh, it's, it's old data, right? That's why we always say the tracker is the best in capturing uh, current and forward-looking data. If mortgage rates had been trending the same direction and the forward-looking data was positive, then okay, you know we could we could keep growing from here, and we might have a, 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 another positive month-to-month report in February. Um, the year-over-year declines are—we are, almost went actually flat to positive just because the comps were easy. But next month we're going to have actually a, a, a harder comp year-over-year. But again if when you're working from such low levels of demand if you had a you know a really positive forward curve in demand you would you would you would be printing it's like what we had in covid remember in covid we had the decline and then everything stopped and we were pushing like 15 20% year over year gains in purchase application data the forward looking data looked great i mean it was just like games on and i always try to caution people we don't have that marketplace here right Back then, it was a 3% mortgage market world. Could you imagine the housing market if rates were back at 3% again? Everything's different. We're having a whole different conversation, but uh, we're higher for longer on rates, and this is what happens. But as you can see, rates just moving from 8% down to 6.63%. Just that, you know, because the bar is so low, you can grow sales from here. Uh, uh, and then you know we'll we'll just track the forward-looking data because last year the same thing happened. It's weird the same the same thing happened last year where rates went lower and then February rates spiked up to seven percent and the forward-looking data got negative and then it was just like a back and forth. The risk is if the ten-year yield breaks about four point three four percent and uh, what I'm uh, I, uh, as I'm talking to you today, jobless claims data came in really good. Uh, uh, the manufacturing data beat to the upside, and the ten-year yield didn't break above four point three four percent. Everybody was asking, "Hey, why isn't rates going up higher?" Or why would that? I said, this is a very key technical level? This is one of these things where the technical level overrides the economic data. If the Fed didn't kind of change its tune uh, late last year that they were really restrictive, if they still wanted to, we need to crush the economy. Trust me, we're already you know we're near five percent mortgage rates already. Or 5% tenure and eight percent mortgage rates, but they they have moved from that, okay, we don't want to be really restrictive to this. So I always tell people, boy, it could be a lot worse than what we're dealing with right now. We could still be dealing with you know, seven and a half to eight percent mortgage rates. And the Fed just constantly talking about attacking the labor market, attacking the economy, and needing to grow below trend. And they've kind of abandoned that because the growth rate of inflation fell faster, even with all those things. So um, it was a bounce. It was a bounce in sales. We were anticipating we might get one more positive month to month print, but we then now really have to follow the tracker data right? And uh, people that don't follow the tracker, they probably wouldn't know what we're talking about. But the forward-looking data started to get uh, uh, weaker as rates rose.
0: Boy, I, I love that glass-half-full mentality. It could be much worse because it's true. I mean, it's true, even though it's it's hard to stomach if you're in the real estate and mortgage industry and you've been holding on, uh, hoping for better rates coming. And we, we saw a little glimpse and we thought, you know, it gave us a lot of optimism for the spring. And it just hasn't turned out the way that I think many people hoped uh, that it would, that we would see those lower and holding instead of going back up.
1: You know, this is why we do uh, 10-year yield channeled work. And we want to do the hard nitty gritty work on why the 10-year yield is higher, why did it go lower, and try to explain to people, we do not want to do the one mortgage rate variable discussion where rates are going to be here at this point and we're just going to let it go because we don't really track housing data in this fashion and we can't talk about it we want to go into every single day uh, because if the data like for example if jobless claims you know jobless claims had been getting better the last few weeks what has gotten worse the 10-year yield has gotten higher uh uh, the last few weeks so there it's it's a cat and mouse game between the macro data fed expectations but you can't say this is inflation related. I mean, the, the God, the three to six month uh, PCE inflation has one handles on it. The 12 month uh, PCE data, the, the things the Fed tracks has a two handle on it. But if you look at it in the labor market and the economic data, then it makes sense. So uh, I've always said this for a very long time, this four million level for the existing home sales, that holds, right? And the longer this goes, right? The more pent-up demand, which I don't re- usually believe in. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the pent-up demand theory. It's just that we know those people are here. They just need lower mortgage rates. And uh, one of the concerns I have, which, you know, uh, we'll cross that bridge when you get there, is that eventually if the labor market starts to break faster than the Fed wants and mortgage rates start to go faster, the amount of people still working and not being able to buy rates will come into the marketplace still at a level where inventory isn't the best and that's always been you know that was the fear in 2022 when people are saying what the hell are you talking about about you know if mortgage rates peak well if mortgage rates peaked at six and a quarter and then went down back to four percent you know the savagely unhealthy housing market could still stick but here at least inventory is growing year over year right that's a positive uh new listings data is growing we still have a long way to Work to get back to normal. I think was a three months of supply. You know the NARs data is just a little bit above a million. We're so, we're so like so far from normal. If we wanted to use the NAR data, but at least it's it's a lot better in that sense. The days on market, the thing that we always talk about, is thirty six days right now. Uh, it's a very seasonal data line. Usually it it falls into the spring and summer and fades higher in in the fall and winter so uh, i would love it if the days on market were just over 30 days year round but we don't have that marketplace just yet but we're building supply things are getting better we need some type of balance and as you can see there's nothing out there of uh, uh much stress you know in terms of big scale stress and in inventory people rushing to sell their house to get out and all that stuff so a uh, much different marketplace it's just a kind of a slow grind but we'll, we'll keep an eye on the forward-looking data year-round, and if things start to turn again, uh, remember, existing home sales, old and slow, like the Fed. You don't want to wait, right? You, there's people out there that said, oh, look, the higher rates aren't impacting housing. Oh my God, you're like eight weeks behind, right? Totally different marketplace. So we'll we'll track it one week at a time.
0: Dive into the insights of top-tier real estate executives, brokers, team leaders, and agents on The Real Trending Podcast, hosted by Tracy Velt. Discover strategies to elevate your business, innovate your marketing, benchmark performance, and more. Tune in every Monday morning for an interview tailored specifically for real estate professionals. Available anywhere you listen to podcasts. So let's talk about, um, you talked about the 4 million mark and what you're saying there is that in, in any given year, the number, given the number of uh, people we have working, our population, it's really hard to drop below 4 million total home sales in a year, no matter what else is going on. And we've seen that last couple of years. And so what what we look at is the monthly number and how that's trending, right? So where we are right now in February, where do you think we're going to be this year, I know it's early. It's just it's just February. But, you know, do you think we're going to see anything big there?
1: Uh, You need you need rates to go lower for growth and sales. Now, I'd always say that the builders have shown us how to grow sales, but that's a sub six percent mortgage market. Right. So that's that's where the action is at. Their data line looks much different than the existing home sales. So you need lower rates for longer. If you look, if you try to model it out, if you had 12 to 18 months of rates between 4.875 to uh, 5.75, or 4.75 to 5.875, if you had rates just stay there for a long time and you're not worried about rates spiking on you anymore. Uh, you get a more fluid marketplace to grow sales. And we saw that. We saw that in in the end of 2022 to 2023. We had noticeable purchase application. We had a big print, but then rates went up again. So it's one of these things where the housing market is disproportionately being uh, affected by uh, Fed policy or how how I say it, the COVID-19 housing policy to keep people at home and sales depressed. Because if you look at it now, Four million back in, you know, when we got a tad under four million in 2008, we had a lot less people back then, right? Uh, we got to the four million in COVID. That was more of a timing of the uh, of the plague itself. And then we got down to kind of four million. We bounced off that last year. Then we got down to 3.7. So as you can see, it's, it's really hard to crash below this just because the sheer amount of people we have in this country uh, 4 million sales is not a lot when you consider you have over 157 million people working, uh, or a population of 335 million people. And you look at the entire aggregate demand of all the different home buyers first time home buyers, move up buyers, move down buyers, cash buyers, investors you put it down together after 1996, it's just really hard to really break under 4 million.
0: You know, one of the charts that um, you used to put in all of your uh, or almost all of your articles when you first started writing for us in 2020 was this demographic chart. And it had this it bowed out in the years what 2020 to 2024, because you had the millennials, this large group coming into their peak home buying age, which you put it like, you know, it's it's just you're just graphing it out. But the the problem is right in the middle of that, it got squeezed. It's like someone put their hands around it and squeezed it as far as like the, the demographics are still there. But how do those people buy homes? And so my question to you is like, do you feel like because of COVID, because of just the way the housing market has been, that that, that year 2024 gets pushed a little bit because they just haven't been able to buy homes like they normally would?
1: It is. And it, it does get pushed out for this this one thing um people don't know this but housing broke out before COVID. if we didn't have COVID 19 we actually would have had more home sales in 2020 but we would have had less home sales in 2021 but since we never had a real credit or sales boom like we did during the housing bubble years those four years back then uh we're missing like 4.2 to 4.7 million home buyers like they would be there if rates were lower so because of that um you, you string out your years 2020 to 2024 because you know it was it was really just two years. Uh, it, it's funny to think this. I, I, I always bring this up because people really get shocked about this. When I tell people we only had 130,000 more existing home sales in 2020 than we had in 2017 and people just go, there's no way it was I say, yeah. It was, and if I average out the two years, 2020 and 2021, it's only like 370,000 more per year because 2021 had a lot of, lot of the makeup demand flipped into that year. Uh, so, it, it's not like sales were like, like record-breaking like we saw during the housing bubble year. So, you have those people there, but again, you pull the trigger when rates go lower, right? That's what we've seen in the data. After qualified mortgage in 2013 and 2014, rates go up, demand goes down, rates fall, Demand goes up. We saw it in 2018-19. Rates go up, demand falls, and rates go down, demand picks up. Same thing here. Both the last two years, we saw it again. uh, Even with the affordability issues, rates go down, demand picks up. Here we go again, 2024. Rates go down, demand picks up. So it's a a rate variable moving everything. The home price is sticky in a sense, and it's still rising. That's not helping with the affordability issue. So in that context, hopefully uh, – You can. It makes a little bit more sense why the four million number was so key. And and the reason I say this is that people say housing is so unaffordable, no one can buy the home. Then who the hell is buying these four million homes a year? If I add the new home sales market, who the hell is buying the other? That's near five million total home sales. I mean, an average was six million in the previous decade. So the majority of the net buyers that we've always had for fifteen years are still here. It's just that we're not. You know total home sales are not uh, uh, anywhere we saw in 2020 2020 or 2021 they've come down but you still have that baseline buy that's why I always try to get people to focus on the formula because they think that home sales are crashing and why aren't sellers cutting prices to sell no they're they're not stressed here right because that buyer that group that's still here the affordability isn't as much as an issue as the people that were buying homes at six and a half million dollars and then rates went up, and that six and a half million went all the way down to four million. You know, so just that's why I always say the supply and demand equilibrium. If I if I could ever say one thing, why so many people get housing wrong, is that they've never never taught themselves or or trained themselves to read the supply and demand equilibrium. They just naturally assume affordability is so bad that educated people people who work who have sex who eat food to take their kids to school who you know do all these things that they will give you their house at 20 30 40 50 percent off when they don't need to. see that's a difference if, if you if you need to, you will do that but there's no need the days on market aren't that really high the active inventory is that high the distress sales are very low so in the sense your comprehension of housing economics is like two three hundred years old. Right? This is not like the tulip mania or anything like that. The supply and demand equilibrium is literally right there. But this would require, Sarah, reading. And the history of human civilization has taught us that those that don't read, uh, uh, the, they, are, they are at a disadvantage against those that do read. Right, This is why we always try to stress reading. Uh, uh, so much, and then after you read, you go, okay, this starts to make a little bit sense because you know the median sales price was up five percent year over year, and and this is all kind of a later data line, and they're like, what the hell's going on? And and just remember, n- not a lot of people like to take the median sales price of anything uh, because of the shift of sales. You know, you, you usually take case Schiller, Zillow, FHFA. Uh, uh, Fannie Mae, Black Knight, these kind of things that take the trend sale directions gives you a better idea of where home prices are going. And we have these, we still have these crazy people on the internet that take the census HUD data and like home prices were down fifteen percent in twenty twenty three. And I'm like, oh my god, read a book, <laughs> a book, just one book, you know?
0: Or or the tracker, just read the tracker. Let's stay on demographics here for a second. So, demographics are are really they're they're a big factor in housing. So, one thing right now we have a ton of baby boomers who are holding on to their homes, who are staying in there. They are there's no silver tsunami because they don't want to sell. And you know, we were at an event last night. Um, you had a a question about this, and one of the things that's so interesting is that that you brought up, which um, you know, my background is in uh, the healthcare industry, so I know. That the retirement communities, even if it's not like total assisted living, um, whatever level you want to go in to, uh, you know, a community that has uh, different levels of care is so expensive. It's so expensive compared to if you are a baby boomer and you own your house outright because you've been paying for 30 years or you have a really low interest rate. um, There's just no comparison. And so we know that right now the baby boomers are going to hold on to that wealth as long as possible.
1: Okay, so here's here's another interesting aspect about that conversation last night. When a baby boomer sells their house and is downsizing, they're buying another house. Inventory is a wash. Nobody, nobody talks about this because it's sexier to say silver tsunami! Everybody's running. They sell their homes, nobody buys a house, and they become homeless or rent. Even though the data doesn't show this, I mean the baby boomers were the biggest home buyers recently. So they are the biggest buyers, right, uh, on a percentage, and technically Gen X is, but I always say nobody cares about us. Now, is that inventory going to really increase if it's a wash? See, it's the supply and demand equilibrium, Sarah. It's that. They don't understand that because they, they've they never trained themselves in housing economics. A lot of these are what I call podcast stock traders who are well, – we got these crazy people that are trying to say, uh, people bought homes because they bought GameStop, and GameStop kept on going higher, and they kept – No. No, that's not how housing works. This is why I'm I am so I'm such an advocate of taking every stock trader I can on a live debate because that's not how this works here. Okay, they don't go if GameStop price goes up, I have to get a house, homie. You're gonna live in there, right? Okay, you just don't go buy that house because it's going up in value. No, 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 no. That's not housing because if it was, then they would liquefy everything. Remember in 2022. You know, the first housing bubble debate we had live was, you know, the stock trader gentleman talked about, well, if people see home prices falling, they're going to rush to get out. Home prices were declining in 2022. The second half, and what happened, the market reaction was new listings data was falling. We had less people listing their homes because the equilibrium is the cost of shelter, right? And when you think about the baby boomers, not only is the cost higher for, uh, uh, you know, the communities they would move into. Who had the highest death percentage during COVID in America? It was people in nursing homes. So on top of the unbelievable cost of nursing housing and, 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 and elderly care, are you as a son or daughter really going to roll the dice again and have your parents live in an expensive shelter where if god forbid another plague happens boy they're done you know i don't know i don't i mean there was there there was a there was a wake-up call for a lot of people in this country about you know putting your parents into uh, uh, elderly care and then they have their home free and clear you could buy a multi-generation house or get an adu or Grandpa and Grandma, whatever it is, boy, boy, it's just it's just it. The alternative is not as uh, um, free and open as people think. And hopefully, I mean, by now it's like it's like we're in twenty twenty four. Like the silver tsunami was supposed to already happen. So um, I just, I, I, it's a, it's an unbelievable gimmick that has been here for as long as I could remember. And uh, it, it was the, the the final year was supposed to be 2025. It's actually next year. It's like we were supposed to have 30 million homes available for sale, and it just doesn't work that way. And and hopefully, even with this year, as inventory is growing year over year, um, we have always had this principle. Mike Simonson and myself have a, have the same idea. We talk about it differently, but higher rates, weakness in demand, days on markets growing, more inventory, price growth will cool. That works itself out. Even in 2020, and, and I implore everyone, this is why going into 2023, when I wrote that forecast, it said prices can decline, right? But it needs sales to keep on going down. It needs inventory to increase. It needs price you know, percentage. Of, and if November 9th has changed the dynamics, let's be mindful of the forward-looking data because this is what happened in 2013, 14, and 2018, and 19. This is why we track the 10-year yield. This is why my entire housing economics works off the ten-year yield, and and hopefully by now we can see it. And it's just a li- it's a little bit different when home sales are down here at four million than at six and a half million.
0: You know, uh, back on baby boomers, it's like also. I mean, I I found this in my own life. You know, I at one point had lots of kids in the house, needed lots of uh, bedrooms and all that stuff. You know, I have. I've been downsizing, it is hard to find anything to downsize into. I mean, I'm sure there are different communities where maybe condos are really popular. They're not in Texas, or at least not my part of Texas. So there's that. And this is one of the reasons that we are keeping such a close eye on the reverse mortgage space, because it has all of the hallmarks of like, this is how you age in place. You know how you age in place? You get a reverse mortgage, and then all that equity that you have in in your house helps you stay there and age in place and bring in help if that's what you need, retrofit the house if that's what you need. And so it's one of the reasons that, um, you know, we, we keep a close eye on that. We have a, a dedicated reverse uh, editor, Chris Clow. I have him on here all the time to, to talk about things because this is one of the realities that we see that like, okay, it didn't work out how everyone thought it would. And here's the, here's one of the alternatives that I think is going to be more and more important and, and critical and, and popular as we go.
1: You know, in regards to that discussion, um, I, I would tell you this. In in my financial dealings with uh, baby boomers, what was always discussed with people that did not have a mortgage, that they all wanted to stay in their house until the money ran out. So in this, in this, uh, uh, just in this talking frame, it was, well, you're... 401k plus your social security. If you withdraw X amount, this could last you eight to 12 years, depending on, you know, your cost of living. And then after that, you can do a reverse mortgage or sell your house and use the liquidity there. So when we talk about staying and aging in place, we also have to remember that, uh, some of these people, they get social security. Uh, and, and I remember like reading, like doing the numbers and with, with social securities and taking some out of their 401k, they they have enough to just live out there. So if, if people are wondering why baby boomers are also staying in place, well, technically, if they're collecting social securities and they have a 401k plan or any kind of pension or any kind of retirement or something like that to the nature, uh, they can plug in the holes of living. Uh, if you're obviously still working... Then, you know you're gonna live in your house and you get some kind of income so when we think about these these dire baby boomers rushing and selling 20 or 30 million homes or whatever uh, I don't again I, I, I say this they don't have the training right uh, they' I don't I question even, even how inverse are they in the financial markets even because as a stock market rises right retirements plans grow more money can be pulled out each month right and more money could be earned. On the retirement fund, so you know, in that sense, uh, uh it, i mean, this would never happen. But if you, if you, if you cut the stock market down fifty percent, uh, and then you would force some people to make some choices. But that's just not the case. Again, I—all these different variables go into the whole enchilada, right? Like, so I tell people, Sarah, now I eat data for breakfast. it is a breakfast cereal of charts and numbers and equations and i put milk in it i eat it every single day and when i look at all of those things i could kind of explain why inventory i mean let's let's god was it three months of supply were a tad above million using the nar data historically it's between two to two and a half million it was four million in 2007 guys everyone everyone listening to this it is 2024 Okay, it is 2024. We just went through the biggest home crash sales in history in 2022. It didn't grow much in 2023. And we're starting here at four million in 2024. And inventory is a tad, a tad above a million. Who is the one person in the United States of America that drew that black line on those charts from all the way in 2007, all the way down and kept on saying, this is a trend and everybody says, no, it's going to reverse. There's a double bottom. There's a technical. I said, oh, my God, if only this if inventory works like a 200-day moving average of stocks. What is we've seen? I've given you the biggest crash in sales. We're in the third year, and we are literally 3 million units away from the peak in 2007. So there's more to this story than just the token single answers people give.
0: There is more to the story. That, that should be your tagline, uh, along with always be the detective, not the troll. Um, reading is a good thing. All of those things. Uh, it should be. Economics
1: done right. It's boring. Is, you know, it should be boring. But, yes. you know, I try to make it fun. But, you know, there's like, I, 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 my job is to teach, because if I can teach, the best way to take on troll orc armies is to teach a society how to read. Because all it does is every time they scream out there, people go, ha, 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 oh, that's cute. Logan says you're funny, he's right, you know? They, in a sense, become my armies. They work for me, right? Because they can't shut up, right? This way, if they learn, even the troll people could learn, then everybody gets on the same page and we all look at the same data that matters and not speculative theory. It's funny because I always go, I don't follow a lot of people. Are, everybody, by the way, if anybody who's listening to me, and you tell me to listen to anybody's YouTube or or accounts or anything, I literally do not follow anyone's work. I follow my own stuff. So uh, just kind of be careful. I'm not trying to disrespect anybody. I just follow my own things. So I follow data and numbers. I eat it for breakfast. I have it as a midnight sack. You know, it's tea in the afternoon, whatever it is, it's just how I operate. I stay away from TV or anything and just this is how I roll. I don't. I don't even like looking at other stuff because it's just. It's just. I. There's so many different people, different takes. It doesn't really matter to me. Focus on your own thing. It's like my basketball coach self. You know, focus on your own team fundamentals. Read what offenses they run. Read what defenses. But make sure your kids are ready to go.
0: I love it. We appreciate you sharing your insights with us. Um, we'll have you on again soon. Thank you for doing this podcast. Pleasure. Thank you for listening and thank you to our sponsor, Truth. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.